You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Tavish. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we today? Tavish, we got you back. It's been a few weeks. How are you, sir? Not bad. Not bad at all, sir. Hope you and Bruce are doing well today. I'm not doing too bad. Bruce, how are you today? Um, Good afternoon. I'm uh, doing well. Um, You know, healthy, alive. Well, that's good because uh, we don't have any more busted water lines. We don't have any more um, any more rallies in your neck of the woods. Although you did have a tornado warning this morning. Yes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, technically, it was just the um, the the testing of the system. But yeah, we did. We did have the alarm go off. Yeah, well, that's what you think. It was Trump's fault. That's what it was. Yes. Mm hmm. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into some stuff today. So I, I'm not going to I mean, we really don't have that much uh, all that much planned today. Of course, we never really do anyway. But um, I wanted to touch base with you, Tavish. It's been a while since you've been on. So uh, give us a rundown. What, what's been going on with you the last few weeks? We, we haven't uh, we haven't heard from you. I'm sure you've been pretty busy. So what's going on? What's been going on with you? Uh, it's it's the brave new world, the new normal. People are still skittish. They're still trying to find their way around and whatnot. And, I, you know, I give people credit. The majority of people are trying to, to do what they think might be the right thing. They don't always get the same information, but the majority of people are at least washing their hands, wearing a mask. So I give people overall a passing grade on that. You know, they're, they're trying, may not be the best effort. Like we've had people come in, they take their shirt off to wear for a mask. So we're like, okay, well, he has no shirt, but he is wearing a mask. So, okay, go for it. But yeah, it's just been one of those things, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work. It, it turns into a blur after a while. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, all right. So we wanted to get into some stuff today. You you wanted to talk uh, a little bit about, I think you wanted to talk a little bit about essential workers. Yes. Did, did I hear you say that correctly? Yes, sir. Well, I just want to, I've been noticing how suddenly the invisible people are not so invisible anymore. People have noticed that everybody thought that was important and whatnot. They're at home. They're working from home or whatnot. It's it's the ones out there, the gas station attendants, the truck drivers, grocery workers, your Amazon, your UPS drivers. They're still out there. And it, it we I have seen people be appreciative, but it's one of those things Americans seem to have a short-term memory. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. People that were appreciative of us, now it's like, wait, why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? And they forget. You know, there's a pandemic. We still have nine years of drought going on around the world. So I I just want to remind people that, hey, these are people out there every day doing things so you can be home with your family, work from home, whatever it is. So just take the time to say thank you, or at least don't be rude to them. You know, just tip your head and thank you and move along. Remember, they're out there putting their lives on the line every day just so you can get food or you can get gas or you can get your wonderful toys from Amazon or whatever it might be. So just remember, folks, there are people out there every day that don't have the luxury of working from home. You know, uh, since since you bring that up, we've been seeing some stuff coming out of New York. Now, I, I don't know if you guys are doing this in Massachusetts. I don't know exactly what's going on up there because I haven't really heard too much. But what we're hearing out of New York is some of the craziest stuff that I think I've ever seen. Same thing with the state of New Jersey. We're seeing some crazy stuff come out of there. And by that, I mean, we're seeing the governors come out and say, like Governor Cuomo, that he's coming out and they're now dictating 
you know, at him and, and guys like Governor Phil Murphy of, of New Jersey, they're now dictating what restaurants can serve as far as like food, what they can do as far as uh, allowing outdoor dining and drinking and things of that nature. They're classifying what can be considered food. Are, are you guys seeing anything like that in uh, in Massachusetts there? No, uh, we we they put their opening plans on a uh, slower track. It took them a little longer to get through different phases. So we haven't really seen the issues with the outdoor dining and whatnot. Uh, what they've done, they'll close down streets to allow extra room for outdoor dining and whatnot. I did hear about the Cuomo chips. What bars would do, they would sell a bag of chips for a dollar and call it Cuomo chips. So they could kind of get around, do an end run around some of the restrictions. And that's when Governor Cuomo came out and specifically said, you cannot sell a bag of chips and call it food. Other than that, I'm not that familiar with New York, um, so I can't speak directly to that. But I do know there was the Cuomo chips controversy. Uh, bars selling bags of chips for a buck, calling them Cuomo chips and saying, oh, well, this is food, so we can get around the um, restrictions. But in terms of like Mass, Rhode Island, whatnot, we've been a lot slower. In fact, they're considering stepping back from their timeline only because we're starting to see an uptick in new cases, new intubations, so on and so forth. So there is concern, especially with schools coming up. There's a lot of uncertainty about do we reopen schools? Is it going to be a hybrid of in-class and online? Some districts have already said they're just going to do online only to start with. Uh, others have said they're going to delay opening by seven to 10 days just to try to get a handle and see where the numbers are going in terms of uh, new infection rates. The CDC has come out, the head of the CDC has come out and said that they're advising right now that schools need to reopen. The problem is at the state and the local level. That's the issue right at the moment. It's not the CDC. And they're warning of a massive public health crisis that will come out of the fact if we don't reopen the schools. And that is, we're, we're talking about kids and their social structure and things of that nature. So you need to have some type of a social structure for kids. On top of that, a lot of the kids in inner cities and stuff, they get part of their meals, you know, part of their meal program. All that comes from the schools. Any type of mental health guidance that they need, be it talking to a counselor or whatever, a lot of that's also going to come from the, the schools being open. If they don't have that, and of course there's a destructive lifestyle in whatever they would consider to be a household, then this is going to cause an even bigger problem. We're going to be looking at more cases of abuse, which they're off the charts now anyway, because of all this. Added to that, you don't have a lot of parents out there that are able to homeschool their children. I would like for this to be an opportunity to say, all right, fine, let's get them out of the public schools. Are you kidding me? Look at the programs and look at the curriculum in some of these public schools around the country. It's terrible. It's terrible. We're teaching kids about uh, lies. We're, we're teaching kids about false history. So, I mean, in a way, part of me says, OK, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and just keep them out. But we don't have... Uh, we don't have the um, the setup in everyday society now. We haven't, uh, you know, we ha we've devolved from that that structure at home, so we're not able to make time to do this any longer because. Obviously, you know, you got both parents working or uh, in some cases you don't have any family structure at all. So they don't really have the opportunity. But as far as sending kids back to school, to be honest with you, just looking at the numbers and you have the, the public health experts out there arguing this one way or the other. But if you look at the numbers and we're talking about just deaths, deaths, hospitalizations, all that stuff, there's no evidence to suggest that kids are problems in any of this, especially when it comes to deaths. They're not there. We figured up yesterday, we were looking at, at Sweden, for example. Sweden has, the country of Sweden, between the ages of zero and 20, there were zero deaths. Zero. 
So where's the argument to keep schools closed? From what I've heard here, part of the issue, and, and most people seem to agree that young children don't, you know, they, they don't have the fatalities that the older population does. But the issue seems to be, at least from what I've heard, is the multi-generational households, parents, grandparents, in some cases, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles. Kids don't necessarily suffer that much from it, but the transmission rates, uh, that's what I've heard being discussed an awful lot. And like you said, there's people on both sides of the coin, but it's that transmission that they're worried about. How high is it? How low is it? Everything's evolving. So no one really knows and you have people on both sides. But I know that's one of the big issues is the transmission. But also for a lot of the older schools, they don't have the proper ventilation system, uh, room to social distance. Some of them don't even have school nurses anymore. So if somebody tested positive, what do you do with the kid until the parents come or something? That's some of the school districts. That's the issues they're dealing with. But again, that's just what I've seen here in my neck of the woods in the Northeast. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not exactly sure which way they're going to go. But I, I think you've got a warring faction in there. You've got the public schools and, and got teachers unions that are representing the public schools across the country. And Bruce, I'll, I'll bring you in on this. They're talking about how it's not about public health at this point. It's about we have to abolish the private schools. And for example, California, they say, well, it's not about it's not about public health. We need to take all of the funding. And there's one state. I don't know which state it is. I heard it last night and I'll be damned if I can remember which one it was. There is a state from last night that said we will not open private schools. However, public schools can open. So to me, this is not about public health has nothing to do with public health, which we talked about what this is all about anyway. Right. This is all headed towards January. That's that's where they're going with this. But this is just another thing to throw a wrench in the works to try and use it as leverage for society. That's all they're doing at this point that I can see from this. So, that, I mean, that's my take on it. That's my opinion. Yeah, we kind of talked a little bit about uh, the teachers unions and what their what their demands are. And uh, yeah, some of them. Some of them were pretty Marxist in, in their intentions. As you said, one of them was um, shutting down private schools and religious schools as well, which technically it's private schools, chartered schools, all that. There was some other stuff and I'm wanting to find, I'm looking for a list of some of the demands. Because some of the demands were in some of the locations, things like defunding the police and, you know, the, the typical BLM nonsense. Yeah, stuff that has nothing to do with education. Exactly. Yeah. Defunding the police and charter school moratorium before reopening schools. I don't really see how that benefits teachers, honestly. That benefits the union, but not, not teachers, nor does it benefit schools or the students. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, personally, part of the problem that we're running into is, as, as you were saying earlier, is this is where uh, some of the kids get their food. Some schools are still providing free meals, uh, free lunches for kids that would be going to school right now. Uh, well, would have been going to school. School's about to start up here uh, a week or so, uh, somewhere in there. Are they reopening where you are? I believe so. I don't have any kids in school, so I don't know for sure. I haven't looked into it, but I'm pretty sure they are. I could I could look. Oh, I but, thought you were still in school yourself. I apologize. I'm just real sorry about that. You know something? That is actually something I get asked. Oh, what what <laughs> high school do you go to? <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm, I've been out for a while now. You know, yeah, people people tell me nearly the same thing. They're like, I, I, sh I was talking to somebody not too long ago and they're like, uh, have you aged a day since you've been out of school? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. Have I? <laughs> I think we all get uh, that to one degree or another. I would thought Bruce was in college myself. So my bad. No, technically, I'm I mean, you can go to college whenever you want. Right. Any age. But 
I'm not college yes. age. Yeah, I'm. I'm a few years past that. But yeah, no school. Schools opening uh, August 13th here. So yeah, I'm, honestly, they they need to open up. They need to get back going. Uh, in my opinion, I just having that structure destroyed. The, it's going to go if if we don't have this school year going. It's going to be a year and a half where they don't have any teaching. I've seen studies that said that students lose or not really lose, but what they learned over the year diminishes just over summer break, right? Even spring break, they lose stuff. So an entire year of not having any school, um, what's it doing to their, you know, academic levels, you know, their social interaction with people? What is this doing to their psyche, the the whole trauma, the, the hysteria that the media is ginning up? And then on, on top of the extra social, yeah, social media. media. Yeah. And the, I also read some studies that was talking about kids at home are eating the equivalent of an extra meal. So what are we going to see in child obesity rates? Abuse, you know, is that going that? Well, that numbers up, as, as you said. So, yeah, we, we we need to get things back up and up and running again. And there's there's other reports we've seen where kids are going out joyriding. And they're of the age they should be in school, like 14 year old. One of them was 11 year old going out and stealing cars and going going for a ride. And so these are the these are the ones that would typically be in school. Uh, so anyway, well, see, Bruce, I, I he does. He go. deserved that car. It's wealth redistribution. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it is. It's it's appropriations. Right, see, it's, right. it's a form of reparation mm-hmm. is, is what that is. You're out there boosting cars at 11 mm-hmm. years old. How pathetic is that? How pathetic is that? If oh, no, you do that 20, 30 years ago. In part of the country where I grew up in over there? Oh, God, no. No, absolutely not. It's a two-edged sword. If they're learning at home, how many have internet access? How many have, you know, laptops or computers they can use? Are the parents using at home for work? And also, by the same token, if they go to school, especially like rural areas like Western Mass, they they may not have a school nurse. They may not be able to social distance uh, ventilation systems. I know at least in Rhode Island, there's still a work in progress, but they are planning on the 1st of September in Massachusetts. They've put it back, I believe, seven to 10 days before they will have, uh, it looks right now it's going to be a hybrid. X amount of students will go to school on X amount of days, then they'll do home school learning. So they'll cycle through. So it may take a week or two for a teacher to see every student in her class, but they are rotating them through just because of the limitations on the size of the school. Realistically, you know, how are you going to social distance six feet or even three feet in some areas, depending on the age of the school? So it's it's one of those work in progresses to me. I do believe kids need to get back to school. They need to social interact, but how to do it safely and then consider what's the average age of a teacher. You know, in, in New England, it's an older generation that are teachers. So looking at their health, transmission, you know. I don't have any answers. That's why we need someone like GP pull out his medical dictionary and solve the problem. Oh, God, no, don't no. He'll never shut up if you get him to do that. <laughs> you made a good point, though, Tavish. Uh, I, that was something I forgot on, on that. It, the uh, students with Internet or a computer at home, they were estimating anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of students don't have a computer or Internet that is capable of doing online learning. So. I mean, there is going to be a fairly large bit of the population that's unable to to return to school if it all goes back to online learning. These are the issues they've discovered over the summer because a lot of the school districts, at least up here, they continued the free breakfast, free lunch program. School shut down, but they still had pickup points where families could go get the food, 
bring it home. But also with the uh, learning, a lot of districts use their own money to buy laptops. But like we were saying before, the reliability of the internet. I know a lot of places in Western Mass, they have DSL if they're lucky. You know, never mind broadband. So as I was saying, especially if parents are working from home, who gets the computer for how much time and can they really get anything done? No, and I think that plays into part of the consequences that we're sitting here going back and forth with. You're looking at uh, mental health issues. You're looking at social structure issues or lack thereof. You're looking at access to programs such as meal programs, social services at schools, such as talking to guidance counselors and and things of that nature if you have problems elsewhere. And none of that's going to be there. All that's going to be removed. And so you're going to have a population of kids that are uh, I mean, they're, they're going to be subjected to all these other problems that come along with it. So what are they going to have to deal with at home in uh, the fact of, like you said, Tavish, what, what are they going to have to deal with at home if they don't have access to these certain type of things? This is why we see bills come out of Congress now, proposals, rather, I guess. They, well, these are bills, but they get proposed, but they don't pass. And the latest iteration of that was the $3 trillion spending bill that was put together by House Democrats, talking about how we need to give uh, high-speed broadband to everybody in the country for free. Where does that come from? You know, you had people likes of which uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party in the UK advocating for the same thing. So I find it very coincidental that all these people are out there, especially in the political realm, they're all out there asking for universally the same thing, which leads me to believe that they're taking their marching orders from someone else. They're not coming up with this stuff on their own. So my opinion, they want to keep kids out of school. We had guys like Bill Gates come out last week and say that we need to, or was it the week before? I can't remember. I don't know. But he came out recently in the last week or two, and he said that we need to keep schools closed until 2021. So we need to close them for another year. So this this guy is is really advocating for a public health crisis. You're going to be dealing with all kinds of other things. You're going to be dealing with like abuse cases are going to be off the charts, anxiety, depression, all of this. On top of that, what else do you have? Not just schools, right? Schools are a, are a bad enough problem that are building in and of itself. And like I said, they're using them for leverage. That's all they're trying to do here is it's just they're trying to leverage out the population, keep us distracted while they can push forward somewhere else. Pay attention to the left hand. Don't look at the right hand. That's all we're seeing here, especially when it comes to schools. The other problem that we're seeing is what we were dealing with during the initial lockdowns. You had hospitals do what? Hospitals sent everyone home. Hospitals said COVID only. We're not taking anyone for uh, anything else. All elective surgeries are canceled. And you can't get any kind of procedures performed until further notice. Well, what did that do? That allowed things such as cancer patients, TB, HIV treatments, all all that stuff. All that was foregone. So no one could get any kind of elective surgeries, preventative surgeries, anything like that at all. Now, I don't know of anybody personally who who died, but I do know other people that uh, know people that did because of that. And so what's happening now? So now they're talking about how this type of thing could happen again because you've got people the likes of Fauci that are coming out calling for more lockdowns. We need to have him again. I'm trying to figure out why this guy's still in place. He's single-handedly destroyed the U.S. economy up to this point. He's been wrong about everything. According to this guy, we should have two and a half million dead right now. Two and a half million. And we don't have that. We've got about 150,000. And those are cooked up, ginned up numbers. So what's happening now? Now they're saying you've got cases like tuberculosis, HIV, malaria, All these things, we were in the process of prolonging the life expectancy of people that had contracted these diseases. And so now, and now, by the way, this is a statement from one of the World Health Organization doctors uh, of their malaria program, the Global Malaria Program. He said, COVID-19 risks derailing all our efforts and taking us back to where we were 20 years ago. Well, 
Okay. The COVID-19 part of the World Health Organization, all those idiots do is take marching orders from the CCP. That's all they do. They're compromised. Parts of the UN that come out and have certain representatives make statements on certain things, they're not wrong. The head of the world, the UN World Food Program, he came out when, the, when we started the lockdowns warning of the numbers of starvation that we were going to see across the world, which we're now seeing. But because there's not a news camera on it, and no one's writing a paper on it anywhere, you don't care. The effects of having economies shut down are substantially worse than anything we're dealing with when it comes to COVID. This is the real problem. If you can use economics as a weapon, which the elite are clearly doing, then you can kill more people, because that's how sick these people really are. You can kill more people using economic despair than you can with any virus. Fear becomes the weapon. The economics part of it becomes the means. They've gotten people in the West largely to capitulate simply because we're bribing people, right? We talked about it yesterday. We're bribing people to stay home. $600 extra a week is what people are being paid. $600 extra a week in paycheck incentives or, or whatever on top of their unemployment. You work out that math. You do that math. That's about $24 an hour. We're paying people to stay home. What are you supposed to do if you're a business owner? Let's say you're a business owner. You own a grocery store of, say, I don't know, three or four different stores. Okay, nothing major. Just you've spent your life uh, building up one location and then you decide you're going to open up more locations because that's what you do in business if you can make it to that point and good on someone that does that. But if you are a person that hires people to work in your grocery store and you can only pay them, I don't know, 12, 14 dollars an hour, if that, if that, depending on where you are and, and how much, you know, how successful your business is, if you can only do that. But yet the government's paying people $24 an hour at the taxpayer expense and printing more money to boot. Well, where are you going to be able to get people to go to work for you? No one's going to want to come in and go to work. Oh, I got to go work eight hours. I got to go work six hours. I got to go stock shelves. I got to go price things. I got to go deal with people at, at, a, at a cash register. I got to talk to people. I got to be around other people. Or I can just sit at home and I can collect $24 an hour. We're bribing people to stay home. So this is doing a lot of things. This is not just, I mean, yes, it starts with education, but I mean, we, we started here with education, but we've we've kind of trans, you know, uh, transitioned to these other parts of it because it's almost like a hydra. You start, you talk about one problem and it just leads you to the next one. You get to one point, it just takes you on to the next because this is all a big web of, of a mess. And so I think we need to take another look at it because the $600 a week, that is in the process of running out. We've been talking about this off and on over the last week. Tavish, I'll bring you in on this because you're back in here after a few weeks. The $600 a week, as far as that goes, as far as what that's doing, to, as far as keeping people home and, and things of that nature, do we keep it because it's it's about to run out or if it has or if it's run out already, I'm not sure. But the Democrats, obviously, they want to expand it. They, they want to expand it. They would rather keep that going as long as humanly possible. But the Republicans really don't want to. And I'm not going to turn this into a, a party issue of Republicans versus Democrats, because that's not going to get us anywhere. But do we keep it or do we cut it? What's your opinion on it? I think we need to drop it some. I mean, 600, just listening to you over the last few minutes, I feel stupid for not, you know, leaving my job. I'm like, oh, my God, I could have been making all this money. I'm an idiot. But I understand there are people that truly need it. So I don't believe the 600 only because we're piling up all this debt. And it's going to come due and bite us on the ass. I think we should drop to say 300, you know, enough to get people over the hump or at least part of the hump. Take some of the pain out of it because for a lot of people, their jobs just haven't come back yet. So, so we it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. Get those expectations back down. You know, and there are people I know have said, oh, I'm out of work and I'm making all this money. And I'm just sitting there going, 
oh, must not throat punch person, must not throat punch person. But I also know people that are struggling with a mortgage. They have a family. One or both parents are out of work. So it's it's one of those tough situations that I can't say give them the pie in the sky, but I can't say give them nothing. So I think we should pare it down, but put it somewhere in that middle range. At least to me, that that seems to be the best of our worst options. Yeah, it, it, at least tone it down. I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. It, it at least needs to be toned down. I'm not 100% for getting rid of it because unfortunately, the government did come in and say, you have to shut down. Uh, so if your business collapsed uh, for no fault of your own, then yeah, it should be on the government to, uh, to try to help your employees or you yourself, uh, because they're the ones that shut you down. So there, there needs to be something to get people by. Uh, until you can find other work or or create another job uh, in case of the business owner, if that's something they're able to do. Well, we talked about the bridge in the beginning, right? It was just something that was going to be get us from point A to point B, get us over that, uh, get us from here to over there across this ravine because we knew that there was going to be a problem. We knew that we were going to close things down. We knew that we were going to send people home. But We've crossed that bridge per se, right? To to talk about the, you know talk about that for in the form of an analogy, we've crossed that bridge, and so now we're on the other side, and it's like okay, now we need to go further down the road because we've crossed the bridge. We can't just stay here, and now everyone's just like, well, no, we want to stay here. So what, what do you? I mean, what what do we do? How how do we get people? Because I I mean, here's the thing. I get where Tavish is coming from, where he says we've got to do something because people are, you know, they have their mortgages, they got families and all that stuff. But I mean, if you really want to put pressure back on these governments, then you have to cut the 600 as, as terrible as that is. Uh, and, and I hate that because you're using people as pawns. That That's the problem. You're using them as as, a, as political leverage. Now, the, the reason I say this is because no one is holding the state and local and federal government's feet to the fire at all. No one's holding their feet to the fire because they're being paid off. It's like a gang that uh, that extorts your business, right? You pay them off, they leave you alone. But if we stop the payoffs, they're going to come for you. And I think that's where the governments are at now when they're looking at the populace that are out of work. So they keep them out of the streets. They keep them out of the protest realm. They keep them off their backs by keeping them at home, giving them $600 extra a week on top of their unemployment. And then you keep them in fear using the media, promoting the idea that, well, if you go outside, you're going to die. So it, it all seems to, to kind of work in unison here. But if we cut the 600 a week and people don't have any money coming in, that's going to get them up off the couch real quick if they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Correct. It OK. It does get them off the couch. The problem is, we talked about it before, 40% of the jobs, uh, the, the small business jobs are gone. They're not coming back. That's that's the current spec, like the current uh, estimations on it. If that's the case, yeah, they'll get up and, and try to find another job that isn't there. That's my concern is that a, a large portion of the workforce is where are they going to work? There is no place for them to work because it was shut down and it's permanently gone. Hence so we never should have closed. That, uh, yeah. There should have been other things in place, regulation as far as uh, social distancing, blah, blah, blah. We should have never shut things down. Well, they just had a case study um, in New England, and there are minimum 12,000 mom and pop businesses that have either already gone under for good or on the edge of going under just because of lack of revenue coming in. And, and like you were saying, Bruce, about the jobs and the same thing with you, Johnny, for some people, that's extra 600 is all they got. 
So yeah, get them on their feet, but where do they go? You know, I mean, I used to work for Luigi's Pizzeria, which is gone, you know, because some of these places, they couldn't survive and just take out a delivery. Others were better situated for it. So they rode the hump, but they're still at that point. That lack of revenue is just the personal, what was it? The, the PPP, that payroll protection. Yeah. Um, if you pay your employees, you don't have to worry about the loan. Some of them, that's all that got them to this point, but yeah, after that, it, it's the money's still not coming in. 25% capacity, 40% capacity. You know, if you used to run 100 tables and now you're down to 25, how much is that going to cover your overhead, your uh, operating expenses, so on and so forth? So it's it's one of those I just, I have no good answer for it. It's, it's just one of those things that it sucks out there right now in the world. Do I think we need to cut back on our spending? Yes. I don't think we should completely stop, but finding that happy middle ground takes compromise and it does not seem to be in our uh, lexicon nowadays. It, it's a dirty word. I, I say that on both sides of the political spectrum. Well, one of the things that have actually happened is casinos in Las Vegas have reopened in the midst of all this. So at least some people are getting their jobs back. However, if you're a gambler and you don't wear a mask, bad things can happen to you in Vegas. Right, Bruce? Yeah. So there was a uh, uh, one of the gamblers there that decided not to wear a mask. And of course, um, law enforcement was called and the man was promptly arrested. Um, it said uh, they took. Let's see. They're saying it's security that actually arrested him. Well, or did they um, detain him? The, the thing is, is uh, they can. OK, here, here's what they can do. If you have a private business such as a casino or a store of any kind, if they hire their own private security and they work for that company, then they can essentially affect what's a citizen's arrest. But they have to turn them over to law enforcement when they show up. That's what they can do. Uh, as far as like uh, prosecutorial stuff, they're, they're not officers of a court. They're just protecting that private business. So they can so detain, they detain them and hand them over. OK. Yeah. Yes, they, I, that's all I was they not can aware do. of that distinction. Yes, that's all they can do. So, if, if, for example, let's say you have like, um, I don't know, like a, an electronics store or something. They have their own security. They work for the company and they go out and they stop, say, like a shoplifter or something. If they feel as though they can uh, detain someone uh, and recover their property, then that's what they can do. They're well within their legal right to do that, being a private business. But they do have to, of course, inform the local law enforcement. The local law enforcement have to come down. They have to be turned over. Custody has to be handed over. And then, of course, the business then reserves the right to uh, go down the lines of uh, any type of legal action through the court systems. And then the private business or the people that represent and speak on behalf of that business can then fill out the proper paperwork for that state or locale or county or municipal or whatever. And then uh, they can effectively file charges uh, and, and pursue criminal prosecution. So Nevada still has restrictions uh, as far as uh, how many people can gather or what you can do or, you know, like, mask regulation, social distancing and whatnot when you get over 50 people. Now, there's some, shall we say, oddities or whatever with with how Nevada has been allowed to regulate things. So if it's a church, well, you're required to only have, I'm, I'm wanting to say it was 25 or less, but it might be 50 or less. But if you're a casino, you can have 500 or more depending on the size of your casino. So it's okay if you're at like a blackjack table or something and, you know, a little somewhat close together. Uh, that's okay. But, you know, church, which is a First Amendment right, you're not allowed to 
do effectively yeah, no more than so no more than 50 people yeah so i mean if you if you're you know a part of a church that's a mega church quote unquote and there's thousands of people that are capable of being in there and it's a massive building yeah you're only allowed 50 people so let's change up a little bit because i'm you know what all i want to do is i just want to talk about something that is not coronavirus related I, i'm so tired of it I, i'm so sick of it and i'm sure people are sick of it too and that's all that it seems to be. You look at all the headlines and that's all you see. You see coronavirus, pandemic this. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago it was it was riots and all that stuff. Well, you know, I, I really I really I'm just tired of looking at it. And I think that's the kind of what it is at the moment. They're just trying to wear people down. But, you know, people want to look to other things. And we've talked about the bringing back of these things. People look to other things to try and distract them. Well, Sports is a big thing, right? We've been talking about sports the last few days. And sports has been one of those avenues that people use for distractions. They don't want to see politics in sports. They just want to watch sports and have everything else tuned out. Well, sports are back and sports are now woke, as you know, for lack of a better term. They've gone full SJW, you know, messages and things of that nature. And it's it's really a sad thing to see because I don't think people are largely taking to this. If you look at the numbers, the numbers of the viewers for sports games, professional sports games are down. They're down. We went over some of the numbers last night. It's shocking. I mean, I knew that people were kind of, okay, yeah, all right, sports are back. But now it's, do we really want to look at all this stuff? Bill Gates came out a couple of days ago, and I was thinking about this on my drive home tonight. Bill Gates came out a couple of days ago, and he made a statement, and he says, well, we don't have a choice. He was talking about vaccines. He says, we don't have a choice. Well, hold on a minute. What, what happened to this whole my choice, my, my body, my choice? Isn't that what we hear all the time? What happened to that argument? Why is it that I don't have a choice? Oh, what? Because uh, it's it's I need to think about someone else. Why? Because you say so. Because you're the one that's going to push the uh, the, the product because you're funding it and you're developing it. I look at Bill Gates as like a pitch man, right? He's a salesman. That's all he is. That's all he's ever been. He's a salesman. If you want to sell the world a product, which in this case, that's what he wants to do. He's a vaccine guy, right? Before that, he was a uh, he was a, a computer guy. But now now he's shifted. He's doing this now because he's a doctor, you see, who has a degree in nothing. So what he is in this case, he's a salesman. Now, in order for him to sell you a product, the world has to have a need for that product. Well, before Corona, we didn't have a need for that product, did we? But now we need it. According to him, now we need it. So you're going to need a vaccine now for the common cold, and you're going to need multiples of these things a month, right? This is what he's saying. So if you want to, if you want to sell a product to somebody, if you want to push something on someone, doesn't matter what the product is. In this case, it's a vaccine. If you don't have a marketplace, what do you need to do? You need to create that marketplace. And that's what he's doing. You have to create the marketplace to market your product. You have to have a need and a demand for that product. This is where the media comes in. So he says that we need to have this vaccine in order for these large gatherings like sporting events to come back. Well, as I was driving home tonight, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were looking at the numbers last night. We were going over some of the numbers of the viewers of professional sports last night. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. The largest of all sports, of all the major sports since they since they came back were, uh, let me see, it was it was the Yankees and the Nationals game. They had 4 million viewers. 4 million viewers for the World Series champions against the New York Yankees. You would think that would be a blowout game. That'd be a sellout game. Obviously, there's no crowd. But you'd think that people all across the country would want to watch that and get back to some sense of normalcy. Well, everybody took a knee. Everybody 
spit all over the system and, and you know, uh, stomped on the, the very country that's given them everything they've got. And those numbers were terrible. Four million people. It's all that watched that. And so what good is a vaccine that's being pushed by uh, an illegitimate fraud, as far as I'm concerned? What good is that if you're going to have to take it to return to an area the size of a sports stadium or whatever? And you're going to have to look at that. You're going to have to look at a bunch of a bunch of uh, low life bums out there on the field getting paid millions of dollars, being a disgrace to the very country that's given them everything they have. You're going to go out there and you're going to take something like that because you're forced into it because you want to go back into that. Uh, to be honest with you, I think the ones that are on that side of the fence that still watch that stuff no matter what, they're going to take that thing anyway because they're just as scared as anyone else. You're always going to have those lemmings out there that lead everyone off the edge of a cliff. And this is what we have out in society. This is what the media has done to people. This is what social media has done to people. You've created zombies that vilify and ridicule and humiliate other people of the public that can actually see what's going on. So where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Do you take the vaccine that's going to be at best, at best, 30% effective, and God only knows the uh, the possible side effects. We won't know that. On top of the fact they're rushing it, do you know it takes seven years to develop a vaccine? Seven years is what it takes. They're doing this in less than two. What kind of corners are they cutting? Look at the people that are promoting this. They're the same ones that are keeping our schools closed. They're the same ones that have taken our sports away and brought them back with this, this, this degenerative crap that they're shoveling on everybody. And the numbers reflect it. People can see through it based on the numbers of viewers that you have for these events now. That right there instills enough confidence in for me to sit here and say that, hey, people see through this. So are you going to you going to come back with, well, we got to take it because we got to have this back. OK, what? You're going to get four million people to do it. Is that it? According to guys like Gates, you got to give it to everybody. I think the world has more than four million people to watch a sports game. So is it worth it? Is it worth it to trust these people that have been incorrect? Is it worth it to trust these people that have destroyed our wealth, our economies, our future, people's livelihoods. They're causing a bigger health crisis by keeping society shut down and regulating what can operate and what cannot operate in society and through the economy. So that's my take on what all this stuff is is meaning when it comes to a vaccine. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, aren't there several vaccines that are in uh, phase three trials right now? To me, yes. that's going to be the big decider. What kind of side effects? Who got the placebo? Who got the actual vaccine? And what were the success rates? What's the antibody generation? Until we know that, I'm not confident in any vaccine out on the market. You know, I, I, I'm holding off and for the phase three trials to be concluded. Let them get the information, crunch the numbers. And does it work or does it not work? Because there's, I believe, is there not seven to 10 vaccines in phase three or soon to be phase three? Um, I don't have the numbers in that, gentlemen, but that's the last I heard. But with so many out there, I'm holding off. You know, it's just until I get more information about the validity of the test and how the uh, test results came back, that's going to be my deciding factor. But that's just me. There's 27 potential COVID-19 vaccines currently uh, around the world. Uh, I, I don't know how many specifically here in the U.S. there are, but that's uh, globally. But here's the thing. <laughs> you, you brought up MLB and we're talking about it. So we'll, we'll pull some of the numbers on it because I like numbers. Mm -hmm. um, Major League Baseball attendance for 2019, the entire season. This is physical attendance. You were there at the stadium. It was 68 million. All right. So the Dodgers alone had an attendance of nearly 4 million. They, they were they were top of the chart. 
Now, what were the numbers again for the the amount that were watching the show? Uh, you know, watching it. Didn't you mention four million? Yes, it was the just the Na- the Yankees and the Nationals game. Just that game, it was four million viewers. Okay, so keep that in mind. This is during the shutdown. Okay, or or many places are still shut down. Many places uh, people are out of work, so they've not had sports in a while. They're craving their sports, and that's all they could get at home. Right. I, I don't see any here. Let's see. On YouTube alone, they were getting 1.2 million live viewers on YouTube alone. Let's see. The regional sports networks were number one in primetime on cable. Mm-hmm. Prime in time. 24 of the 25 MLB markets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is MLB is typically top of the charts when it comes to this kind of stuff. Right. Right. And uh, that's all they could really push was. Four million in the middle of a pandemic when people have not had their sports in a while and are craving something. Yeah, maybe, maybe, um, maybe this um, social justice warrior nonsense is uh, kind of put a damper on that. Tavish, where you are, there is a big hockey culture. Where I was, Columbus Blue Jackets NHL team, and you you had a, a, a fairly good uh, amount of people that would go to those games, and and people would be season ticket holders and and things of that nature. So I mean, it, it, I think a couple of years ago they almost won the Stanley Cup. But side issue. But where you are, it is especially a very uh, a very popular sport, uh, more so than where I'm at. You get up into New England, I mean... You have the New York Islanders, uh, the New York Rangers, the Boston Bruins hockey alone. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you're a hockey fan too, right? I follow it. I, I'm a football guy myself, so... But I do follow the Bruins. What are people's attitudes? I mean, I, I'm sure you talk to people that are hockey fans and stuff like that. What, what are people's attitudes that... Uh, that you're seeing and you're hearing about of people that are saying, because hockey, the hockey players, they're not taking knees. One guy on the NHL, one guy on the NHL players list, one guy in the entire league came out and took a knee. None of the rest of them did. What are your thoughts on it? Because your background, I mean, you're, you're a veteran, you served, right? You, you did a whole career in the army. And so what's your take on all that, on, on these people taking knees? But more than that, uh, you know, the professional hockey players that are refusing to do it. From what I've been hearing and, and talking to people, a lot of them, it's the burnout factor. Yeah, they want sports back, but they want to be able to go to the games. And like you said, they don't want this political uh, chicanery going on. They just want to see their games. As far as taking the knee, I can understand the reasoning behind it. Personally, I would rather they not do it. There's other ways to get your point across. In fact, a gentleman brought up a good point. We were having a friendly discussion, argument about it. He said that, let's solve the problem. Just don't play the national anthem before the start of the sports event. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, you know, realistically, I don't think they always played the national anthem. I think that was a a later addition to the sporting world. But in terms of taking the knee, I understand the social issues. I understand the reasoning behind it and the validity of people's beliefs. But personally, if you're playing the national anthem, to me, show a sign of respect. You know, you want to do something after the anthem or before it, no problem. Go for it. But another person also pointed out in olden days, taking a knee was a sign of respect. So that's how much it's been turned upside down in the world. But yeah, that's just me. I understand why they want to do it. Personally, I would prefer they not do it during the national anthem. You know, th- there's another time you can do it that can have just as much impact. So I got. So to clear to to clarify real quick on the national anthem, we've been using the national anthem since uh, in sporting events since 1918. 
uh, baseball uh, was was the first. And the national anthem was officially adopted in 1916. Was it adopted yes. for two sporting years events? So, okay. So the sporting events adopted it two years after the U.S. adopted it. It had already been ah. used for like 20 years before that in like the Navy. It started... Almost, you know, at the same time. I did not realize that. Thank you, sir. Keeping with sports here. Tavish, there was something you brought to my attention before we actually started. We were tossing around here, just kind of kicking ideas back and forth. You brought something up about something about a Navy SEALs uh, thing and a, and a Colin Kaepernick jersey. What, what was the deal behind that you were trying to get across to me? Uh, yes. Navy's investigating an incident from 2019 at the U.S. Navy SEAL Museum. Apparently, they were doing a canine demonstration, and the gentleman that wears the heavy pads that the dogs attack was wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey. So they go through the paces. The dogs take him down. They do it again. Dogs take him down. The uh, trainer orders the uh, gentleman to roll over on his stomach. And he goes, no, no, I'll stand now. I'll stand now. And apparently the crowd was laughing. Hey, that's last report. No active duty Navy personnel were involved in the incident. Uh, apparently it was just personnel for, associated with the Navy Senior Museum. But because he was wearing the Colin Kaepernick jersey, once the video got out there, people started getting um, a little agitated about it, a little upset about it. So um, th that's in the current news cycle. Hmm. Okay, this is this is my take on it. Okay, being as what Kaepernick stand <clears throat> kneels for, and what uh, the military is and their mindset, that's actually pretty mild, mild and benign. And now, is it is it childish or or something like that? You know, um, sure. I feel like that's a, the general feeling uh, among among our military that uh, Colin Kaepernick, who sucks, by the way, the reason that he went to the Super Bowl and all that was because the team that carried him and the coach used what Kaepernick was good at, which I believe was running. I'm not huge on sports, so I'm, I'm not, his, uh, you know, his numbers. We looked at his numbers like we, we looked yeah. at his his statistics. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to sit here and, and bash on a on a professional athlete, because I know, or I don't care which sport it is. I know the amount of dedication that has to be undertaken by the person in order to make it to that point. Do you know how good you have to be to be the worst player in the league in any professional sport? You've got to be phenomenal. And to look at, at his numbers, he was out of, uh, what was it? What did we, what did we say? It was like out of, out of uh, tw uh, however many teams there were, he was like second to last or something. Well, out of 36, I believe that were uh, in this, he was 35 and wow. that uh, wow. the worst, you know, one of the worst. So yeah, he, he wasn't great by the, by the end of the season or well, by the end, towards the end of his career. And to note for all the people that might be, you know, um, thinking of him as a hero for, for kneeling in the middle of his career and risking his job and so on and so forth. Keep in mind, he was kneeling um, after he was benched. He was not benched because he was kneeling. He was benched because he sucked. And in fact, uh, they, they had another quarterback take his place that was um, not great. He was also mediocre. Uh, I forget what the guy's name is. Uh, if you're into sports, you would know who the guy is and and know that he sucks. But I'm not into sports, and I yeah. But anyway, I am. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm just. I'm trying to contain myself. I'm over here. I'm. I'm laughing hysterically because when you say that somebody sucks at professional sports, you must really be mad because you usually don't come unglued about someone like that. Okay, I'm my my family. I have a lot of family that's military. And I have family that's been in law enforcement. And my sentiment of someone that says that they are against 
the country and the flag. I'm I'm not a fan of that that person. And I take note of when um, you know your statistics when it when it comes to sports. I, I take note of how good or bad you are. Keep in mind that also the NFL has other players that also kneel. Those players weren't benched. You know why they weren't benched? They were good players. <laughs> so they perform. Yeah, they perform. You play well, performed. you won't get benched unless you're. Yeah, well, yeah. that's a different story. But um, yeah, I, I I get it. But that um, I don't know, man. It's just he's making more money being an activist at this point. So people are yes. always saying, "Oh, well, uh, he's he's going to go here, he's going to go there, he's going to try." He doesn't want to play. Mm. He, he doesn't want to no. play. He makes more money exactly being an activist. So. And as you said, like it it takes some skill to be even one of the worst quarterbacks out there. Right. It does take some skill to even be on there. I would not even scale on that chart. I would be way off it. So as in below, not as in above. Yeah, I I give him credit there, but that's as far as it'll go from Mm -hmm. me anyway. It's their right. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And to me, there's other venues that you can use for protest to to have your voice heard. But the national anthem, uh, that's that's a little personal to me. I've buried friends and comrades under the flag. So for me, it's a bit personal. You know, I understand it's the right. It's your right to burn the flag. But I will be honest. I see you burning the flag. I may have to extinguish the fire before somebody gets hurt, quote unquote. It, again, that's just my personal opinion. But what do I know nowadays? It's a whole new world, they tell me. It's a new normal, Tavish. Get it right. It's a new normal. See, I, I am just so far behind the times. You know, I'm, I'm just learning what woke is. <laughs> and now I'm behind another phrase. You've not heard new normal? You haven't heard that yet? No, I have not. Honestly, really? I have not. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, REM song is making the rounds again. It's a brave new world. It's a whole new world. But okay. the new normal, stuff like that. The uh, new normal? Okay. Of course, I'm not on social media, so well, I'm not maybe either. that's why I'm behind the times. I'm, I'm not either. We're, we're not on social media around here. We we kicked that stuff to the curb about 10 years ago. Though I have to say, I went back on social media a couple of weeks ago. I had to I had to talk to somebody that I used to work with a long time ago, and it's the only place I know how to get in contact with them. You know something? Social media is just terrible. You're on Parler and you're uh, bashing social media. Well, it's, okay, Parler. All right. Now, here's the thing. I, now, I'll go I'll go with the Parler thing. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what. I really don't do Parler all that much. I mean, I really don't post that much. I mean, you can go and have a look. But I post the podcast up there and I talk to listeners that drop us comments, which we appreciate all your comments. If you're a listener, thank you very much. And I do answer everyone. So, I mean, I'm on there for what we're doing here. That side of it, I will I will accept. Right. I will bend uh, my principle on that one for the sake of what we're doing here. Right. I will do that. But as far as the mainline ones like the Facebooks and the Twitters, no. Simply because look what they're doing to people. Look how they're canceling people. Look how they're shutting people down based on their political beliefs. Parler doesn't do that. We even said, Bruce, the minute they start doing that, we're gone. Right. We're all jumping off there. So if they start doing that, if Parler starts doing that, if Parler starts censoring people based on their political beliefs or whatever, then I won't be over there and we will make do with what we can. But as far as it goes right now, Parler seems to be a pretty genuine platform when it comes to free speech. I can't really say that I have any complaints about it at the moment. And they're growing. It's a small startup company. The CEO, John Matz, (laughs) you would love him, Bruce, because he posts every time he posts a picture. 
there's a gun in there somewhere. Every time he posts a picture, <laughs> he posted one the other day. He was sitting in his recliner and he was he had a cup of coffee because there was a bunch of English people fa- filing in. And he's sitting there with his coffee on the end of his A3 AUG, right? And his Steyr AUG. And he's saying, I wonder what kind of coffee the English drink when they come on the parlor as he's holding the gun in his other hand. <laughs> and then uh, and, and then some um, he ordered some plants, right? He ordered a couple of plants and they came in the mail. He puts the plants up on the table and they were all like mangled and crushed and everything because they, they came in. And he says, can you believe these two plants that I ordered came to me like this? It's just, it's unbelievable. It's unacceptable. And I need to get these returned and I want my money back. And he's got an Uzi laying off to the side. You can see it. So, it's, Satisfaction I mean, guaranteed. It is. It is. It's just like when I see that stuff, it's like, you know what? Okay. I mean... Look, he's done some great things. This guy and his team have done some great things with that platform. And I think, honestly, they're playing the long game here. And I think it's going to be the right play because they want the dialogue. They want the civil discourse like we we talk about, Bruce, like you talk about. They want the civil discourse. He's created the platform to have the thousand character response. So you can have the debate. See, Twitter, as Marty put it, and the CEO of Parler agrees with him. The character limit on Twitter is what stops people from being able to make valid points. You can only compress everything into so much. And then by the time you put that out, people say, oh, well, wait a minute. You have to read three or four tweets to figure out what it is someone's trying to say. But on Parler, you don't have to do that. If you want to read what someone says, then they can put a thousand characters in it. If you can't say it in a thousand words, then you don't get it in a New York minute. Right. That's the way it is. Right. Tavish, you know, the New York minute, you know how fast they talk. up. There. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. So they got somewhere to be. They got to catch a train. They don't have time to sit there and dilly dally around all day. If you can say something in a thousand characters, you can make a decent point out of that. And so they're not censoring people. They're encouraging dialogue. The CEO is a gun nut. I don't see the problem here. They do allow free speech. I mean, obviously, if you're not like offensive or anything like that. So I will be on there for the sake of what we're doing here. And on top of that, I endorse what they're doing. I think I think what they're doing over there is is great. Like I said, I don't like the social media stuff. I, I really don't. So, I mean, you can look at what I post over there. I really don't post a whole lot, but I will I will be on it for the sake of the podcast. And and that's um, that to me, to be able to, to interact with listeners and things of that nature, uh, to me, that's worth it. Because to have a dialogue with people that listen to you and people that uh, appreciate what we do here, That to me, you can't really put a price on that, right? I appreciate everything that people sacrifice in their daily allotment of time to sit down and listen to us because that's what it is. If you can take an hour out of your day to sit down and listen to what we have to say every day, then that means you actually care about the same things that we care about. And so that to me, to be able to to interact with people that appreciate the work that we do here every day, that to me is worth it. I would add one thing to that and say, you don't necessarily have to agree with us to continue listening to us. I would hope that even if you disagree with us, that you would continue listening and, you know, have that discussion and, you know, ask questions, bring other points of view. It's getting educated, being informed, making an informed decision. May not agree with people, but at least you're looking at different viewpoints to see what's out there. Tavis, you and I have known each other for about, what, 10 years now, roughly? Does that sound about right? I believe so. Yes, sir. And we we really as odd as this is going to sound, I mean, we only agree on a few things. But that's okay. We agree to disagree, but I still value your opinion. I still want to know what, you know, your viewpoint so I can relate and go, oh, we do have something more in common than I thought. 
I may disagree yeah, and sometimes, and that, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, that's that's exactly the, the the point you're bringing up. I mean, you and I have been have been pretty good friends for the last decade or so. When it comes to politics and stuff, I mean, we, we really don't agree all that much. But you know what? We respect each other's opinions, and we have a good, healthy dialogue. We have a good debate every time. Even if we don't agree, we still walk away with, uh, what's the comparison you make here all the time, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, right? We, we can have yes. a beer and we can walk away, right? I mean, that's, exactly. that's what it is. It, you know, we agree to disagree on some things. We agree on others. But you know what? We listen to each other. And at least we know we're being informed. We may not agree with it, but we're open to new ideas and new viewpoints. That's what I value. That intellectual discourse. Yeah, we go back and forth. We may not agree, but you know what? We're getting informed and we're a little more knowledgeable about things. At least to me, that has value. And I thank you for that, sir. Oh, no, no, no. I thank you, you New England bum. You, I can't stand <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean that. I'm just <laughs> you rust belt kraut, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just a joke. All right. We are out of time this evening, gentlemen. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Tavish, if we get you back tomorrow, uh, that'd be great. Are we going to get you back tomorrow? Uh, yes, sir. Unless the roof caves in or the creek don't rise, I'll be here. Maybe you're not a bum from, from New England, mate. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just oh, I'll take it's always a pleasure today. Thank you. Sir. Yeah, it's, it's oh, always a pleasure. Here. Always a pleasure having you here. Uh, and thank you for coming in today. Really, really appreciate it. And love hearing your take on things. Uh, and so we will uh, we will see you tomorrow. So thank you to all the listeners who took the time to sit down and listen to us today. And again, if you haven't given us a follow over on the platform of Parlor, please do so. You can follow me at Jay Anderson three. You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. We don't have Tavish there yet, though we might at some point. Not sure. But anyway, Bruce, Tavish, thank you guys for your time tonight. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.